Welcome to Raising Up Cops, the podcast about raising Coptic kids in Western culture. I'm your host, Laura, with my lovely co-host, Madonna. And Madonna today has founded this article that has this amazing topic embedded into it that we really have to talk about. Okay, Madonna, tell us more. Okay, so this was actually sent to me. And I'll give you the premise. This um, person sent sent it to me wondering, is this an article that we should share with the church? Or do you think it would come off as an attack and alienate some parents? And so my... Like I was supposed to read this article and decide, is this something that can be applied across the board or will some people get really upset about it? And I decided that this is something that people need to hear. And so thus it is now our (laughs) podcast episode. It is a study founded by the Institute for Family Studies, IFS, um, and it came out on February 28th of this year. And it's called School Choice. An Elon Musk school or a Mother Teresa school, which right off the bat, Laura, I don't know if it did this for you, but it caught my attention. Yes, I felt like it was saying like a religious school or a non-religious school, like an atheist school or a Catholic. I was very confused by the headline. Yes. So if you take it down to bare bones, you think about the type of person that Elon Musk is and the type of person that Mother Teresa is, and they decided that every um, school or school system kind of comes down to one of these two schools of thoughts. You're either an Elon Musk, or you are an entrepreneur, you are a go-getter, you move fast, quote unquote, move fast and break things, start your own company, or you are a Mother Teresa type school who, you know, based her life around serving others, helping others, you know, um, not just like in, in terms of Christianity, but just revolving her life around being in service to people around them, community, things like that. And so they were saying that um, all the schools kind of split off into one of these two camps. Um, And so it was really interesting to read what that entailed, okay? So we can probably draw our own conclusions about what an Elon Musk school probably um, teaches and what a Mother Teresa school probably teaches. But I just wanted to share a little bit more about it. Um, But first, Laura, was there anything in particular that stood out to you when you read this article? Well, yeah, I mean, I think we do need to define what they mean by an Elon Musk school and a Mother Teresa school, because one of the things, you know, as you were saying is, a school can't be both. And I was like, how can a school not like a school has to be both. It has to do both of those things, which is to either have a growth mindset saying, you know, um, work harder, um, try harder and become um, movers and shakers, you know? Uh, And then the other is about service and self-sacrifice, treat others as you want to be treated, love your neighbor. And for me, initially I was like, obviously you can be both, you know, you can do things with integrity, you can work hard and with integrity and caring for others. Um, but it seems that the the idea that or the observation the author of this article has found is that most schools choose one of two focuses. They don't mm-hmm. do both. So I think that's something I think that's really interesting. It's, um, you know, and the article does say, like, it ends up influencing everything that the school does, like how it approaches lots of different things. And this author even talked about that they were at a school conference and um, they shared these findings. And one school administrator stood up and he said it bluntly. I don't think it's our job to teach kids about loving your neighbor and all that stuff. 
He said, that's the parent's job. Our job is to give each kid the skills they need to make their dreams come true. So yeah, if I have to choose, I'd say we are more about Elon Musk than Mother Teresa, definitely. Um, and I thought that was really, really interesting to break it down. And we've had this discussion, Laura, about church, right? We said like, we can send our kids to liturgy, but in the end, that's like a one hour a day, one hour a week or a couple hours a week, five hours at max a week, right? Whereas all of the education really comes from the home in terms of God and who he is. But this was really interesting because for those who go to school, school is the majority of their life and of their day and of their week. So what are we spending most of the time sending our kids to and what are they learning and what exactly are they supposed to use these skills for? What is our goal for them? Which is another thing that we've talked about before. And um, and it was interesting because they said one of the one of the key aspects of like an Elon Musk school, for example, is that um, every student gets like technology, an iPad, a laptop, a, a tablet or whatever. And um, in this particular school, for example, each fifth grader was assigned that they had to make a commercial on their device where they were supposed to showcase all of their talents and their abilities. But at somewhere like a Mother Teresa school, what they would do is that they would be assigned to make a commercial about another great American, such as somebody like Martin Luther King Jr. or somebody other than themselves. So in the Elon Musk school, it was tell me about what's so great about you and the things you can do and um, what you are able to achieve. Whereas the other school is look to others. What can we learn from them? What can we how can we serve them and how can we um move forward knowing these things about these other people. And that was very interesting. I'm still trying to think back. I feel like my public school was not one or the other. You know, I feel like we had character posters, we had workshops, we had people come in and speak on character topics. Yes. Did projects about great Americans. Did we do projects about ourselves? maybe we were already a mother Teresa school and I didn't realize (laughs) did you go to I I forget were you public school or or Christian school school, yeah public school and I remember that too actually Laura I remember a really strong focus on community but I also remember it being like patriotism and then the school community being the strong focus not so much the world focus but there was, okay, so let's put it this way. So, Laura, there, this was something that was in the article as well. But do you remember what the goal that you were taught in school was? Was your point of getting a good education, what was what was the goal of getting a good education? To get a good job? To get a good job, exactly. And this was the key point in this article, was there's something called the middle class script, and it reads as follows. One, work hard at school so you get into a good college. Two, work hard at college so you can get a good job. Three, get a good job and then you will have a good life. But as we have all found out, getting a good job does not equal having a good life. And I think that this is kind of the central point of this article. So I think that's really strange because isn't that the American dream? So they even went further into this discussion and said, well, actually, We get that uh, money makes you more comfortable. But what they discovered 
was that having a threshold income of about $75,000 is about where you find your happiness. More than that, and they find that more money does not buy more happiness. And as a matter of fact, Laura, if I talk to any of the people around me who are in the six-figure salaries, most of them, and I will not make a blanket statement because that is a dangerous place to go, but most of them, uh, the specialists, the CEOs, find that their time is quite limited outside of work. Find that they are working, the, the line between being at home and being at work is blurred and there is no definition there. And I could see how that would detract from your happiness. If you feel like work is following you everywhere you go, at what point do you find your joy? And that's when it leaned into the next part, which is. Can I, people... can I um, underscore that part, though? Yes. I want to say that there was um, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Yeah. David Pink wrote a book called Drive, and he found something very similar that to a certain threshold, like if you're making enough money to live comfortably, you can pay off your house, you can buy your groceries. Then after that, actually, you work with passion. Before that, you work with desperation, I guess. And afterwards, I don't know what you're doing. But in the, there's a, like a sweet spot where if you've at least made this much money, you're going to be working very happily. Yes, yes. And that's exactly what this article was was pointing at. And now, now we have to be careful because that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be um, a go-getter or like achieve as much as you can because truthfully, God created us all to have different talents and abilities and all of these things are needed. What I think it comes down to is the heart of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And so um, one of the things that they discussed was something called self-transcendence, Okay. Now, there are people who talk about self-transcendence in the terms of you look outward and you're looking at others and at nature, and then there's self-enhancement where your priority is maximizing your own achievement. And here's where it gets really interesting. Self-transcendence, again, which is looking outwardly about others and nature, is linked empirically, statistically with numbers with pro-social behavior and empathy, okay? But self-enhancement is linked empirically with numbers, with selfishness, the me, me, me attitude. And we've discussed before that society right now, at least in what it appears, is leaning more towards self-enhancement to, to selfishness in terms of Worry about yourself. Think about yourself. Put yourself first. Don't make yourself at the bottom of the totem pole. You know, like all these messages that are being sent out into the world right now is you need to put yourself first. I mean, there's no other way to say that. Yes. So I want to talk about that on the on one end, and I know you, you're going to talk to us about the other end. So okay. I have noticed this. I don't, did I bring this up in the podcast? Okay. I was watching this show and in the episode, did we say this? The doctor gave the little old lady pills so she can off herself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We did talk about this. Okay. Yeah. So, and this, this to me is the, 
And the fact that it was presented in a TV show as like a heroic thing to do is the beginning for me of a dystopia. Because now we are, American culture is slowly, slowly pushing out its elderly, right? Mm. Like uh, the elderly are a nuisance. They're annoying. How can we farm out their care? And that's kind of the opposite of the Egyptian perspective where you care for your parents, you do owe your parents something. It's your responsibility to make sure that they're cared for well, right? And there's this kind of um, push and pull uh, for us as immigrants, you know, between like how, when to get help and when to do it ourselves and how to balance that. But but in American culture, there is quickly becoming a push to um, rid ourselves of the weight of older people <laughs> in, in so many different ways. Um, but I feel like that, is really the beginning of okay. serious problems. But wait, Laura, but isn't that also what's happening on the other tail end with children? Yes. Tell us more, Madonna. Because, man, okay, I didn't realize how deep this goes, but you're right that there is this push to just kind of like, once you leave, you leave your parents' house and they're on their own and you're on your own, right? And then also with kids, it's, they're inconvenient. They are in the way. They are requiring too much and, and you need time to yourself and you need to whatever. And I'm not saying that that is not true, okay? But I do think that the <laughs> the seesaw that we're supposed to be balancing, it either keeps falling too far one way or too far the other way, right? There's no, nobody's trying to, like, it's really hard to stand in the middle and balance on a seesaw, Right. It's either going to fall to the left or it's going to fall to the right. And I find that we are constantly dropping it far on the children's side and saying like everything, everything has to be kid centered or X nay the kids. And then too far on the right side with the adults and the, the elderly being like, forget them or focus on them. It's really challenging. So we've gotten to the point now in society where there are so many people who are talking about what a hassle it is to have kids and how annoying it is and how they're not gonna put themselves through that right and this is like lots of people plenty of people um and and people making the decision very early in life that they're you know this is not something that they want to participate in they have a different plan and i'm sure god has a different plan for everyone and, and all of that but i'm saying as a culture as you're saying it's become now like oh, well, now that mothers are speaking more openly about the problems of motherhood and the trials of motherhood, well, then this must be a call to reduce motherhood. Motherhood is a burden on a woman, right? Pregnancy is an illness, all that whole category of things, right? Um, instead of, again, like you were saying, finding that balance in the middle of like, yes, it's hard and yes, it's worth it, like very worth it. So I think it's, I think I think we're going into dangerous territory here, like as a society. I don't know. <laughs> Not to be the the harbinger of bad news. No, and and to be to be clear, I know that there. Are, okay, just like in church, I don't believe that every little boy needs to be a deacon. Okay, some of them just need to sit out, <laughs> and every person does not need to have kids. I do agree that everyone is not meant to have children. But what I am struggling to accept is the way people are making that decision. The way people are making that decision is based off of, okay, I'm going to be really like, like, you know, 
I'm going to be really blunt here and just say that it's it's selfish. It's completely selfish. It has nothing to do with whether it makes sense or whether it's right or what's the greater good. It's per, it's completely personal and completely um, revolving around how is this going to change my life. And, and I think this is what, let's tie this back to the article. And I think this is what this person is saying is that <clears throat> just like we're saying, it's really hard for the two to coexist, for you to think about yourself and also to be able to think about others. It, they they don't coexist well. So you're either going to put yourself first or you're going to put others first. And the question is what virtue matters in life and what virtue do we want to instill in our children when we decide what type of school to send them to? And that's the decision that needs to be made. And the messages that we give them every single day. I mean, I, I know we want to talk about school, but you know, not everyone has the luxury of picking a school, but I think, I think you can tell when kids have been Elon Musked at home, when the message is just excel in school, excel in school, excel in school, excel in school. And then, you know, they don't want to take the day off of school to go to a family funeral, let's say. I mean, I totally made that up, but like, what what are you talking about? Like, (laughs) What do you mean you're not going to take a day off of school? Like, who cares about the test? Like, what are you even looking at? (laughs) Do you even know what's going on? Like, are you, where is the rest of the picture that you have going on here? And I think that's, I think it's true. I think we can also either contribute to them a excel at all costs or a people matter. We are one body. I mean, it's just, I think it's really goes back to like the first Sunday of Lent, like seek first the kingdom of God. And I do think that um, there is a culture even at work that, okay, so I do think that there are good bosses and there are bad bosses, right? Now there's the bosses who will easily step on everyone around them, make themselves look good, take the credit, forget about everything that's going on, that the hard work of, of all the employees, I would put them as Elon Musk's. But there are bosses that are Mother Teresa style who we win as a team, we lose as a team. Um, they're servant leaders. So they're not they're not walking around pointing fingers, telling people what to do. They're like leading from behind. Okay. They're like they're in it with they're in the trenches with them. And I I I know that both exist, but what I found is that the the bosses that are like the Mother Teresa style are the outliers. And I could be wrong because I'm not in the workforce, but I feel like it is more common to have a boss like Elon Musk style that pushes themselves up and up, which is one of the core problems that we have in America is that the, so to speak, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer and that the rich get richer in terms that they do whatever they can to gain and make a profit. And they forget about everybody else. Like we talk about the Amazons of the world, right? The the Amazons that like, they don't have to make that much money. They could give out a lot more. Their employees could be making a lot better. Their lifestyle could be much better. But then you would risk your profit margin going down. And um, that to me, I think is the the cusp of the Elon Musk type style. And I, I hate that we keep throwing Elon Musk's name out there because I don't know what he does in his personal life. But just that entrepreneur sense of of 
you know, business. Yes, um, his name is being put in here just in terms of the article. We have nothing against Elon. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're only using it because the article used it. <laughs> and and there's this one last part, Laura, that I really want to share. And I'm going to read it directly because I don't think there's a good way for me to, you know, just, just kind of put these into shorter words. But the question comes to this. Well, then how do you promote self-transcendence rather than self-enhancement? in a culture which is all about self-enhancement. One study suggests and answers. Researchers randomly assigned undergraduates to one of two conditions. In one condition, undergraduates spent one minute, just one minute outdoors, looking up at towering 200-foot-tall eucalyptus trees. Okay? In the other condition, undergraduates spent one minute outdoors looking up at a tall building. Looking up at tall trees did lead to feelings of awe as the researchers expected, whereas looking up at the tall building did not. So far, none of this is surprising. But the students who had looked up at the tall trees were subsequently more likely to help the experimenter after a carefully staged accident in which the experimenter spilled a dozen pens on the ground. And the students who looked up at the trees felt significantly less entitled and less likely to agree with statements such as, I'm more deserving than others, after just one minute of tree gazing. Now, what is it about the trees and the nature? I thought, like, surely everyone knows, statistically proven, when you're out in nature, you feel better. Like you, I don't know what it is about God's creation and connecting with it. Everyone tends to feel less stressed out, feel more relaxed, feel better, unless there's a bunch of bugs around and bears are nearby. I get it. <laughs> Those things are scary. But nature in general is a good thing. But what it led to was them being able to help the experimenter after he dropped a bunch of pens on the ground. And I thought, what a unique connection that was made. How interesting that they were more likely to help pick the pens up than those that were looking at the tall buildings. What do you think that implies? Well, I think it's I think it's just one of those things about, you know, the word you used was awe, although I do look up at big buildings in awe. Yes. <laughs> I look at everything with awe. That's like yes. my character trait. <laughs> but, um, uh, but I think just, I don't know. It's like you said, it's God's, God's creation. He put his fingerprint on everything. And it actually doesn't matter what part of his creation you're looking at. It it I'm sure that if they did the same experiment with a bunch of other virtues, like I just feel like nature is a really good cure-all. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And I think that this kind of brings us down to the way God intended us to be, right? I don't think, I mean. <laughs> When God created the world, he put Adam and Eve in a garden. He didn't put them in a building. He didn't put them in a shelter. He put them to be in one and commune with the with the nature and, and the trees and the animals and the things around them. And I think that that's just like we long for that somewhere inside of us. And on top of that, he put that there was a helpmate. So we also long for relationships we are not meant to be selfish and meant to look only inwardly and meant to only focus on our needs and ourselves and what what helps us. We are meant to 
look around us and to lend a helping hand and to live in community with one another. And Laura, you have the greatest tagline on your emails, by the way, um, when it, it from Axe. Can you can you share that one? Um, yes. It's, Sorry, it's I, I put you on the favorite. spot. No, I, I'm sure I have it memorized, but I'm like nervous now that you've called me out. Okay, I'll I'm sorry. Um, and breaking bread from house to house. Ah, see? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I totally put I you on the spot. verse up, Madonna. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Here. And breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. That's like our from, family motto. <laughs> yes. And it's from house to house. Like, you know, we um there was a, a a study done a while ago that said that um garages were the downfall of society because people pull into their garage and they close it and they never make contact with their neighbors outside. And so people started becoming more and more secluded. And I totally see that because I'm going to be totally honest with you, Laura. I have purposely closed the garage door before getting out of my car in order to avoid talking to people before. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> the garage like, gives me like claustrophobia. So I always park outside and my neighbor always says hi. And I'm very awkward about it. <laughs> I mean, that's great. That's great. <laughs> I'm always like, um, okay. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> that's really, really great. And, and so I mean, just to kind of end this on a good note. I do also, that, I do also have a verse to share. So, oh, go ahead. Do is your point like really ending things? No, go ahead. Just go ahead. Okay. So, I wanted to go back to this idea of an Elon Musk school versus a Mother Teresa school for a second because we never talk about we we've, we've talked about like our opinion about the process, but we didn't talk about our opinion about the outcome. And so, if you put your kid in a Mother Teresa school, are they going to be a failure? You know, if you put them in Elon Musk school. Are they going to be like totally selfish and there's no way around it? I, I don't know. But right. the verse that my father always quotes is from Psalm 27. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So um, if you are focused on each other, if you have that relationship with God and your neighbor, if you do take care of others and you do that self-transcendence that we're talking about, right? God does reward that. That has a reward. And it's a reward in the land of the living. Like it's not, you know, we often talk about our heavenly reward, our eternal reward. But many times God blesses people who are looking outwards in, in various ways. You know, my mother always says God sends good people to good people. You know, like if you're moving to a new city and you feel like you're going to be all alone but God sends good people to good people so that you have that connection and you, you see his mm -hmm. goodness in life. So I think sometimes we worry if our, if we teach our kids too much of the mother Teresa-ness that they will lose something, but actually God's promises that we, we will not lose anything at all, not even here. And I think we've seen that. I mean, I, we have so many wonderful people. My church is populated by some highly successful people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, mean, I think we have like four heads of departments at major hospitals, <laughs> something crazy like that. And these people are saints. They are yes. not Elon Musk's at all. At all. Like these are people I would like will my children to. <laughs> you know, yes. They're so loving. So and I Laura, we've like, heard. Like, we've yeah. heard of really successful people who are quite the philanthropists. They use their money for good. They they have gained character and status and wealth, but they use it outwardly. And I think that that's the 
the the key point is that like even if you were to go down that path it's not inherently wrong but what virtue are you building in the process is really where where it matters and like just to bring it back just to the school thing as simple as possible and i and i want to make this very clear i know that i maybe lose a little bit of credibility because I homeschool my children. So I don't have a good say in this. Okay. But I have taught in public schools. I have taught in private schools. I am a product of public schools. So I have seen it. Okay. And I want to say that like everyone across the board and even in the article agrees that we all wish that kids would not be defined by their grades. Everyone wishes that kids would be defined by more than their test scores and the numbers that they produce. And so many times, not just me, but any of the teachers around us, we would inevitably get these parents that would come in and be like, what grades did my kids get? Why didn't they get an A? Why did they miss assignments? But what they don't ask is how do they treat other people? How did they get along with their peers? How do, are they helpful? Are they respectful? No, like not that many people ask those types of questions. But when people are building schools, they try to build in those things. We want the kids to matter more than their grades and more than their test scores. And we want to be able to teach character and virtue. Where the the division happens is what character and what virtue are you teaching? Yes. What does it look like in practice? Yes. That's is I hard think work where... and success above or below compassion. Yes. That that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like it's a and even in our own homes just managing our own children that's a really really hard thing because you don't want your kids to not care about their own success. You don't want them to just kind of be flailing in the wind, no real direction, no ambition. Nobody wants that. And you also don't want the type of kid who will do anything at all costs um, high f- and have high-functioning anxiety, like where they're so scared to fail that they they are constantly like, you know, checking the boxes and making the lists and and they forget to live and enjoy life and, and be kids. And, and I keep saying it about kids, but even in adults, we kind of tend to fall in those two boxes as well. Yes. Yes. And I think, I think there are many ways that Egyptian culture does this well. We are pushed to succeed and we are <laughs> sometimes through torturous, torturous methods forced to interact with other people, you know, and I, um, for example, Sophia, uh, my daughter, she's, her grandparents went to visit Egypt this week and she was heartbroken that they were leaving her. You know, she's grown so close to her grandparents that it affects her deeply when she has to be separated from them. And to have that kind of a family love where you care about each other and you worry about each other and you think about each other and you call each other, and you know, so lots of people would pay really good money to have that kind of family relationship where you can mm-hmm. fall down and call your child and your child will come help you there are a lot of people in the world for whom that's not even a possibility, you know? And so I think sometimes we, we, we often drag our Egyptian culture, but I think that's one of those things that, that kind of like deep family connection, I think we do really well compared to like American TV families. I'm not going to say like real, 
I don't know anything about real families, but like <laughs> TV <Yeah>. families. <laughs> and I do, and I do think that um, at the core of this, Laura, that we are longing for the way that God created us to be. Um, and we have since the fall of man shifted a little bit further and further away from the original design. And I think that this is that depression, that anxiety, that, that, that restlessness that we feel is a result of putting all of that on the back burner. And I do believe that just to kind of encourage everybody out there that at the end, even though I said at the beginning that they are spending most of their time in school, I do think that the type of environment that your kids come home to as best as you can manage, because again, people are in family situations that they have no control over. And we know that God is above all of that. Okay. So I think that your prayers will do wonders, but as best as we can manage, we need to purposely and intentionally draw our children and draw ourselves to the original design, spend time in nature, spend time at rest, spend time helping others, spend time in community. All of these things are the way that we experience true joy. And and in honesty, not that I've been to heaven, but I do think that is heaven on earth right there, those things. So, yeah. It's a really great article. I'll make sure to link it in um, the show notes so that you can look over it yourselves and see what you think. Um, I feel like it's just such an interesting idea that we had never come across before. So we felt like we had to talk about it. Exactly. Exactly. So good luck out there. Please hope you did not take the message of doom and gloom if you have chosen one or the other. <laughs> um, I do think that there is hope in every situation. And we, I think Laura and I both agree that there's hope in every situation. Um, and uh, we pray for all of our kids and for ourselves that we can keep on the path and find what brings us joy in, in God's land. Raising Up Cops is a production of Coptic Dad and Mom. This podcast is hosted by Laura Michael and Madonna Lawindi. None of the views expressed during this recording are the official stance of the Coptic Orthodox Church or its hierarchy. These are our personal opinions, collected experiences, and organic discussions on selected topics. If you'd like to reach out with any questions or comments, you can reach us at raisingupcops at gmail.com.